0: We've been studying uh, the series on Abraham. Now, Abraham is kind of encouraging because he is somebody that has come out of a culture um, that is full of idolatry, a polytheistic culture. Uh, That means they have many gods. You can choose from many different gods, whatever God works for you. Build a God in your own image. That's the name of the game. That's the culture that Abraham comes out of and God calls him from out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And he tells him to go to a place that he's gonna show him. We covered all this last week. Uh, he doesn't know where he's going, but he knows he's supposed to go and trust God for whatever happens. And that wherever he goes is gonna be a place that God has promised to him and promised him that he would, be, uh, that he would, he would uh, be blessed and be a blessing to others. Now, Abraham, first his name was Abram, and that's actually what his name is at this point. His name was changed later by God. We're going to get to that next week. It's an amazing story. But Abram, at this point, is somebody that is going through the journey of learning who God is. One thing you may not know about Abraham is that he was called a friend of God three times in Scripture. Uh, 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41, verse 8, James 2, 23. All of those passages say that Abraham was a friend of God. Now, we talk about God like he's our friend, right? We, we, we like to harp on that. But how would you like to go down in history as being a friend of God? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I mean, this is not some, necessarily somebody else calling you a friend of God. This is God saying to Moses as he wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis being the first book, as God speaks through Moses, he says, when you introduce Abraham to everybody that will read the book of Genesis, I want you to include this. Abraham was my friend. That'd be pretty cool, don't you think? Not just in Genesis, but three times through scripture, Abraham is called friend of God. So my question to you this morning is, how good do you have to be to qualify as a friend of God? Ah, that's a good question, isn't it? Some of you are thinking it's a trick question and you might be right, but some of you are thinking that, I know. Um, this friend of God had his foibles. He lied several times. We're going to find out one of those this morning. He got his entire family in trouble. He made bad decisions on a regular basis at cost, his friends and his family. He abandoned or exchanged the promise of God for something that seemed more reasonable at the time. And yet, Abraham is called a friend of God. So I am perplexed by this. And I was reading through this and studying it this morning because I'd love to go down in history as being a friend of God, by God himself, saying, when you talk to other people about Craig, let them know he's my friend. How good do you have to be? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, when you repent from your sins, that godly sorrow leads to salvation. But how totally cleaned up do you have to get? to be called a friend of God, or how totally cleaned up do you have to get to just be welcome in church with God's family? I've met several people in my life, and you probably have as well, that say, I'm not ready to go to church. I'm not really there yet. I'm not as clean as I need to be before I go to church. Every time I hear that, I'm just going, oh, then you have no idea the kind of people that I go to church with. Because every one of us has foibles. Every one of us has temptations. Every one of us has, as Hebrew calls it, sins that easily beset us. You're sitting beside a sinner right now. But, (laughs) yeah, 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 some of you are looking at your spouse going, boy, do I know it. But God's grace does amazing things in our lives to make us into people that we don't deserve to be. Abraham was a big sinner, and yet he got called friend of God. Obstacles will always challenge our faith to see if we genuinely believe what we say we believe. So let me ask you this question. Like if we had a transgender come in this morning, would they be welcome here? How about if we had an abusive husband? Would they be welcome here? How about a liar? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, some of you are going well yeah that's me <laughs> how about a drug dealer how about fill in the blank this person comes and they just want, want to know more about Jesus or they just come to Jesus but they still struggle with those sins that easily beset them how welcome are they in this place how good do you have to be well here's a great passage of scripture that reminds us that everyone should find a safe space in our church Ephesians 2.1 And you, do you know who the you were there, by the way? You is all believers. This book is written to Christians who are worshiping in a church at Ephesus. You is talking to churches. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's bad, right? That's following the devil, all right? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we, church, say this with us, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath. Children of wrath, just like the rest of humankind. Do you know why this verse is written to the church at Ephesus? Because it reminds us we were all in the same boat, and we are all in the same boat, and were it not for the grace of God, we would still be in the same boat. Amen. Untangling a life of sin is gonna take time. Abraham was called to follow God at 75 years old. That's, no offense, up there. We don't even know what he had to work through in order to follow God for the first time. And all of this is brand new to him. And to be honest with you, we don't really know the depth of depravity in our own hearts until God reveals that to us and sometimes over time. We don't even know what's wrong with ourselves when we come to Jesus. So Abraham, by the time he gets to the promised land, he continues to drop the ball, he continues to make mistakes, but every one of his decisions were reasonable decisions. They'd be decisions that every one of us would make. Oh, there's a famine in the land? Go to Egypt, whoa, whoa, whoa. God said, go to this land, the land that I will show you, and he showed it to him. Here's the promised land. Abraham runs into the famine and does what every reasonable person would do. There's no food here, so go to, food yeah, go to food. There's food in Egypt, go down there. But that's not what God told him to do. God told him to leave his family behind, but he might run into some Canaanites. Those are nasty people, right? You wanna bring some muscle with you, so pick Lot. And Lot's got a lot of people in his, his entourage he can bring with him, and so, you know, that's the extra security, plus I got somebody to talk to. So he brings Lot with him. He makes reasonable decisions, decisions that anybody else would make. But as he makes these decisions, we as believers look back on him and judge him for that, not understanding. This guy is just learning to walk by faith for the very first time. And when we come to know the Lord, when our friends come to know the Lord, When we mix it up with strangers, we've gotta be understanding and and know that God's working in their lives just like he's working in our lives and remember who we were and who God's making them into and who God is making us into. So the point is this, you can do nothing to earn God's grace but there's much you can do to demonstrate living by faith. And so that's what I wanna explore with you this morning as we talk about the story of Abraham. First point, don't walk away because it's hard. Don't walk away because it's hard. Because life is hard. Abram chose to abandon the promise because it got a little rough. Genesis 12 and verse 10, if you're using the Bibles this morning, otherwise it's on the screen for you, but here's what it says. Genesis 12 and verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. God didn't meet his expectations. This land is supposed to be flowing with uh, Milk and honey. There's no milk and there's no honey. There's famine. So he goes down there and there's no food. So he makes a reasonable decision. Let's go to where there's food because he's got a lot of people to feed at this point. He didn't leave his family behind, took them with him. So he's got a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of people counting on him. And so he chose to go down to Egypt, but going down to Egypt was not God's plan. Now in our lives, we make reasonable decisions. Decisions every normal person would make. The question is, are they the plans God has for you? Going to Egypt was not God's plan for Abraham. He made it abundantly clear, go to the promised land. And I think another reason he went to Egypt is because it, was, it reminded him a little bit of home. Do you remember at home? 75 years? Idolatrous country, idolatrous Culture, polytheism, guess what's in Egypt? Same deal. He goes down to Egypt and all of a sudden it's like, oh, these are people I can understand. This is what I get. All right, so I feel comfortable down there. And he didn't just go to visit, he went to sojourn. You know what that means? Plant his flag and stay a while. Reminds me of Peter because he took his eyes off the circumstances, he he took his eyes off the promise and he looked at the circumstances and he made what seemed like reasonable decisions. Remember the story of Peter? (laughs) I love this story. So Jesus is walking on the water, which apparently he does all the time. That's why Jesus has a sense of humor, all right? Like, why would Jesus be walking on the water, right? Why? No reason, because he can, so he's walking on the water in the middle of a storm, storm, big time storm. These guys are in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're going, there's a ghost on the water, which again, reasonable, like how many of you have seen people walk on the water? It's gotta be a ghost. Not a ghost, it's Jesus. He walks right up to the boat. You know? Can you imagine how that was? Up and down and up and down. These guys are afraid they're going to lose their lives. They're looking at Jesus and Peter going, okay, now that's cool. I'd like to try that. Can you call me out and give me the power to walk on the water? And Jesus says, sure, I'll do it. You're the one that asked. Come on, give it a shot. So Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Cool, right? Would be the most amazing experience. But what happens? He starts thinking not of the guy that's given him the power to walk on the water, not he takes his eyes off the promise that gives him the ability to do this thing, and he starts looking at his "what?" His circumstances, "Wait a doggone minute. I'm in the middle of a storm on waves. This is not normal." And he begins to fear, and as he fears, what happens? He sinks. It is very natural for us to get into a situation where it seems like this is very unreasonable. This is very unusual. And we start trusting God for a little while, we start looking at him and going, okay, you have all the answers, you have all the power, all I need to do is trust you, and we succeed for a while. But when our eyes get off of him, and we begin to make reasonable, rational judgments, that is, people don't walk on water, we sink. This I find constantly when people say, I wanna do what God wants me to do and then they start looking at the circumstances and they say, this is undoable. And they start to sink. They get their eyes off of what God has promised them. They do it for a little while, but pragmatically they begin to look at their circumstances and say, this is undoable. This is not normal. So I got three things for you. Hardships, when you go through them, And you remember I I said, I didn't say if you go through them. Did I mistake? Did I make a faux pas there? No. I can guarantee you're going to go through hardships, right? Life is hard. Welcome to the club. You are going to go through hardships. Hardships are called hardships because they're hard to go through. Abraham had hardships. Abraham had obstacles, and he had to decide if that was going to bring his faith to life or kill it. And for him, he abandoned God's promise and he began making pragmatic, reasonable choices. Here's what hardships do for us they bring faith to life. How do you know your level of faith until it's tested? So I go to the gym, believe it, once in a while, once in a long while. And every time I go, I always say, okay, I'm going to work out long enough so I can press this much over my, over my just say, 245, all right? So I say, oh, those are 225, let's be re- reasonable, all right? So 225, so I go in there and going, 225, oh, I can't put it up, so I got to back down, 180, 165, 10 pounds, you know, oh, I can put that up. So I, I work up a little bit, and I work up a little bit, and I work up a little bit, and if I don't keep going to the gym and I don't rebuild these muscles that went from here to here someday, I am never gonna get up to 225. I'm gonna stay at 10, 15, 20 pounds. Your faith will not grow until it's tested and worked on by you. God says you only need faith of a mustard seed, but he doesn't say, and that's good enough, just stay there. He gives it the faith of a mustard seed so that it will grow. And your faith grows when you go through Uh hardships. How are you gonna know how strong your faith is? Unless it's tested. And when your faith is tested, that's God giving you opportunities to grow. Hardships number two drive our tendency to fear. One of the challenges we have is that we tend to make the wrong decisions based on what we're going through at the time, because when the hardships come, we get fearful. Man, I have experienced this. Where I look at God and say, God, you want me to do this? I'm not quite sure. Like, I got all these little people that depend on me. I'm not sure I should be taking the step of faith, like this church, for one thing. And I said for a long time, I don't want to be a part of a church plant. That's a lot of work that I've never done before. It's not I'm afraid of the work. It's I've just never done it before. And so Michael, the Holy Spirit slash Holy Spirit, so had conversations with me. And, uh, and I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And the minute I started praying about it, it was like, you gotta do this. Your faith is tested by your fear. And the minute you step out in faith, just like Peter on the water, right? What caused him to get his eyes off Jesus and the promise that he could walk on water? What caused that? Fear. Fear, fear is the opposite of, of faith. So you've got to be faithful in the midst of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. It'll cause you to make very bad decisions. Like faith is awesome. It drives you to make great decisions. But faith, uh, fear is the opposite. And number three, test shi- our hardships test our resolve to live by faith. You want to be a man of faith? You want to be a woman of faith? God says, here's a hardship. How much of a man or woman of faith are you? It's tests our resolve. Are you going to do this long-term? Or are you in it for the short-term? Are you the kind of person Jesus said comes up for a little while and gets strangled by the cares of this world? Or are you the seed that gets planted and grows? People of faith see the promised land when others only see giants. Two spies came back. If you don't know this story, it's a great one. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb came back from the promised land and they said, yep, God promised it, let's go do it. It's good to go. 10 came back and said, that is not reasonable. That makes no sense. There are big, tall people. Like, you know how short Mark is? Pile three of him on top of each other. <laughs> big, tall people <laughs> in the promised land. We can't do it. It's too big. And everybody else said, well, it's 10 against two. It is reasonable to go with the 10. But what did God say? Joshua's out there going, God promises to us. Let's go. And everybody's going, no, no, I don't think so. So Joshua and Caleb had to wander 40 years around with these losers (laughs) until they all died. And then Joshua and Caleb got to see the promised land. Yeah, they were the only two. Everybody else, gone. Hardships test our resolve to live by faith. The other thing I love about that story is when Caleb gets to the promised land, he says, when I was here before, I saw that mountain right over there and I've dreamt about it for 40 years. That's the part I want. Isn't that good? So hardships test our resolve to live by faith. Here's what, uh, listen, this is what Abraham abandoned because he didn't live by faith here. He left his worship behind. There's no worship in Egypt. There's no Yahweh in Egypt. There's all kinds of other gods. You can choose from any of them, but they're all false. They're all they're all dead. They're not even real. Abraham leaves this place that God gives him, and he heads toward Egypt. Genesis 12 and verse 9, then Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Do you know what the Negeb is? I was going to throw a map up there. I forgot. The Negeb is a little dip of land between Israel and Egypt. When my brother and I went over there, we bicycled through Israel because we were young and not smart, but we bicycled through Israel and Egypt. And when we got down to the Sea of uh, the Dead Sea, we went down to, um, I forget the name of it. Anyway, we went all the way down to Elan. You don't know where this is, but it's all the way down to the beginning of the Red Sea. If you're looking at a map, to the, to the left of you, the Red Sea, is this big dip of land, and then Egypt is on the other side. Nobody goes through here because it's dead, there's nothing there. It's it's dead, it's desolate. Do you know where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years? In the dead land. Nobody goes there. Abraham goes to this place, he gives up the promises of God and he ends up in this desolate, rotten place, heading toward Egypt. He gives up worship of God by making this decision. And you know what I found out? If people give up on their faith, they try and get away from worship. If somebody stops coming to church, the first thing I always think of, oh, man, there's something in their lives. There's a sin in their lives they're not willing to face. Or there's a sin in their lives that is killing them. Because when you give up, when you choose sin over God, you don't want to be around God's people. They're just a reminder to you of who you should be, and that's guilty. You just feel guilty all the time. You, you give up worship, you give up church, you give up prayer and communion with God. You're living in sin, you're not spending, yeah, there's a negative right there. You're not spending a lot of time with God. You give up prayer, you give up communion. When sin overwhelms you, God takes a back seat and that's the first thing that Abraham left behind. <laughs> communion and worship with God. Number two, uh, Abraham left his God confidence behind. Genesis 12, starting in verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife. Here's the the amazing way that he big time dropped the ball. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. By the way, she's about 75 at this time. (laughs) I don't know what that means, it's just a fact, all right? When the Egyptians see you, they will say, "This this is a babe, no, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you are my sister, that it will go well with me because of you, and my life may be spared for your sake. Do you love a guy that sacrifices all for his wife? He left his God confidence behind. He was looking for himself, out for himself first. He handled the Sarah situation just like he handled the famine situation. Oh, there's famine here? I'll fix it. Oh, my wife is beautiful and the Egyptians are pigs, I'll fix it. Because as a brother, he had more say over his sister than he would as a husband does over a wife. Believe it or not, it's a cultural thing. And so, when the problem with Sarai rose up, he went back to that old security blanket that he had, self-confidence. He left his confidence in God behind and he began trusting in what makes sense. So I'm gonna figure up some scenario where I can protect my wife, and more importantly, I can protect me. Because if they see how beautiful you are, they're gonna want you, and the only way they can have you is if they get rid of me. So he comes up with a very reasonable, logical, godless solution. And then he left his integrity behind. He forced Sarah to lie. By the way, they had a bunch of people with them, and they all had to lie too. They all had to pull the sham. Abraham said, I'm bringing you down here, but you gotta gotta do this for me. Every one of you gotta lie, all right? Sarai, she was his half-sister, but let's be honest. He's trying to save his skin. But nothing worked out like he planned. Verse 14, when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw, here we go, that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. There's a new woman in the camp and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Listen, you are probably in your situations making reasonable decisions, but if they're not made with, what would God want me to do first? They will always be the wrong decisions. If you belong to God, he's got a plan for you, and his plan never wavers from his will for you. If he wills you to be righteous, You gotta make righteous decisions and you won't go wrong for it. Oh, the world may say, just tell a little lie. You'll save your skin in this situation. But God says, nope, that's not how my people are to live. And so he went back to his self-confidence. There's no altars in Egypt. There's no future in Egypt. There's no way the promise to Abraham could ever come true with him living in Egypt. And yet that's where he went and that's where he trusted in himself And that's where he lied. Then he left his dignity behind. Verse 17, oh, this is so bad. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. (laughs) God protected her. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pharaoh blamed who for what happened? Pharaoh blamed Abraham for everything that happened. And you know what? The promise of God came true. Whoever blesses Abram would be blessed. Whoever cursed Abraham or hurt him would be cursed. That's the promise. Pharaoh wandered into this not knowing what in the world was going on. But God was faithful to his promise and Pharaoh was first on the list to be cursed. Abram was humiliated and he took God's reputation down with him. His first first question to Abraham was, what have you done to me? Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, Pharaoh's bad, he probably deserves anything that he gets, stealing people's wives and sisters and whatever, he deserves anything he gets. Maybe you're right, but Abram was supposed to be a blessing to the people around him, not a curse. Abram was supposed to carry the name of God with integrity to the people around him, not damn them because of the way that they're living. It's God's business to judge. It's not our business to distribute judgment. And Abram went down there with God's full confidence and full promise in full gear. And when it came to pass, it came to pass, yes, on a pagan king, but Abram should have blessed that man, not cursed him. Abram's job was not to make those around him a victim of God's curse. Abram's job was to invite those around him to experience the blessings of God. Let me tell you, church, that's our job as well. (laughs) We don't go around cursing people. Come on. Everybody around us is is godless sometimes, it seems like. Our job is not to go around and tell them how cursed they are or to wish ill on them or to hope that they burn in hell because they cut us off on the highway. Sometimes I do that. But sometimes... (laughs) That's tough, right? Uh, I don't go that far, but, but our job is not to curse people. Our job is to experience the blessings of God and then invite those around us into the blessings that God pours out on us. That's why we're here in this place. Our goal is to experience the blessings of God and then pour it out on people that are around us. When you choose to live in sin rather than trust in God, you'll suffer humiliation. And you'll humiliate others. You know what's happening to the priests in Philadelphia? Is it Philadelphia? Yes. And they found out that there's, they're, they're, they're doing these terrible things to, to children. Oh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, thank you, Pittsburgh. And and then now the Pope's involved, like a big cover-up scheme and everything like that. And here we have just one priest after another priest after another priest, and two were found here in Illinois doing weird things in a parking lot, after one, after another, after another. And I had a conversation this week with somebody sitting in his car who looked at me and said, what is up with you clergy? Why do you guys always do this? And I'm going, I got no legs to stand on. I got nothing to say. These men who claim to be men of God have humiliated God. And they've humiliated themselves. We are invited as God's people to bring people into the blessings of God. Not to make God look so bad that he becomes a curse on them. They will know us not by the way that we damn them. They will know us by the way that we love. Love. So don't walk away from your faith when it's hard to live out your faith. It's always going to be hard. This is when you know if this stuff is real or not. You want to be a person of faith? This is when you find out if it's real. God in his grace brings Abraham back to Bethel from Egypt, verse 3 of chapter 13. And he journeyed on from the Negev. as far, He's kicked out of Egypt now. So he goes back to the Negev because that's the entrance to Egypt. As far as Bethel, now I, I love this, to the place where he made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. He went back to the place he left from, no more abandoning God, right? Nope, he drops the ball again. Immediately drops the ball again. Thank God we're not like Abram. Like like we learn our lesson, we don't do any more bad stuff. (laughs) Tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. (laughs) This time he doesn't abandon the promise of God. This time he exchanges it for something that seemed more reasonable. And he gives up the promise of God for the pragmatic. And so that's my second point. Don't give up the promise of God for the pragmatic. Here's the second challenge Abraham immediately runs into. After he makes things right with God, builds an altar again, worships God in the promised land that God has for him, verse five. And Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. This family wasn't getting along. There's not room enough in this here land for both of us, right, like a John Wayne movie. So, for the sake of peace with the family, Abram sits down with Lot and says, let's divvy up the land. This is exactly what God wanted him to do. True or false? False. False. Verse eight, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kin. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me, and if you take the left hand, I'll take the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. Make sense? Pragmatic decision. Look how big this land is. There's only two of us. God promised it to our family. You take part, I'll take part. Good to go. But God didn't promise the land a lot. Did he? He promised land to Abram and Abram's descendants not his nephew. So Abram exchanged. It's pragmatic. It makes sense. Our guys are fighting. There's not enough grass for the sheep. They're fighting over areas. Let's just figure out what's your part and let's figure out what's my part. And Abram gave up the promise. He exchanged it because it made sense. Pragmatic decision. There's a lot in land here for two guys with a bunch of sheep. Let's just divvy it up. So Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, and he does what he's seen his uncle do many times, make a pragmatic, reasonable decision. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if, if you were here at this time, you would have applauded this choice. You would have said, Lot, that is brilliant. You're thinking ahead You're choosing the greenest part by the Jordan River, and that obviously is going to feed you and your family. It's going to bring income. That is a good business decision. Choose the best part of the land and go with that. Oh, and it's great as a dad. You're going to be providing for your family, you're going to give them a future. This land is only going to get better over time. Good decision, Lot. It made logical sense. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and not just sinners, guys. What were they? How would you like to be called a great sinner? Oh yeah, John, he's not just a sinner. He's a great sinner, yeah. (laughs) You know know John, right? He's a great sinner. He's great at sinning. (laughs) Lot, Lot, chose this decision because it made perfect sense. Abraham exchanges with him because it makes perfect sense. And none of it was God's plan. And they both knew it. And you wanna know something? Lot soon would lose everything because of this good decision. He'd lose his wife, he'd lose his daughters, he'd lose his income, he'd lose everything. Lot looked at what he could get rather than who he was going to be with. (laughs) Let me say that one more time, because it's, oh, it's so good. It could be a tweet. (laughs) Let's let's redeem Twitter. Lot looked at what he could get rather than who he would be with. He would get green valleys. He would be a successful business mood. He would have opportunities to grow and provide a future income. And yet, when he made his decision, the area that he chose was borderline off the promised land and he continued to move to the place where he was totally off the promised land. It would later become Moab. Moab was not looked at highly by God. The, the, the ancestors from these people were terrible people. He ju- gave up everything for what he could see and something that would guarantee his future. Abraham and Lot did the same thing. They exchanged the promise of God for what makes sense. They exchanged the promise of God for what makes sense. Good thing we never do that. What blessings have you exchanged for what makes sense? God only wants to bless you and people around you. That's his his thing. It's his shtick. When we abandon his will for us, We typically do it because it makes perfect sense. And then we find ourselves living in Sodom, farthest away from God. By the way, I don't have this in here, but you do know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We'll talk about that when we get to it, but Jesus even refers to Sodom as one of the most wicked places that ever existed. But it made perfect sense to live there for lot. Don't abandon God when it seems unreasonable to walk by faith. Don't abandon God when it seems unreasonable to walk by faith. That moment is when you know if your heart really believes this stuff or not. We like to think that we're good Christians, but you'll only know you're a good Christian based on whether you're a good follower of the teachings of Jesus We call ourselves believers because we believe in his promise more than the promise of the world around us. We make our decisions based not on what's pragmatic, but what is right before God. And our first question is, does God want me to do this? Not, does this make sense for me and my family? (laughs) I know this one family, forgot we were gonna have relatives of them here today. I know this one family, they worked in radio for a lot of their lives, most of their lives. Uh, worked on towers, uh, built for businesses and corporations, and just learned, learned this, uh, this skill so well. They did it their whole lives, and then they retired. And when they retired, they, they used gifts for God their whole lives. They served the Lord their whole lives. They had a job and they still, still did what you guys do, you know, serve in church and do your job. when they retired, they sat down and they said, okay, what does God want us to do now? And you know what they did? They went to the mission field and they were old. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, they weren't old. They were great, good friends of mine. And they decide that they're gonna go to the mission field after they retire. And you know why they decided to go to the mission field? Because there were towers, radio towers all around the globe that were trying to get out the message of the gospel. And those towers needed people to repair them, needed people to work on them, needed people to upkeep them, and needed new towers to go up where the gospel wasn't being presented. And these two people, after they retired, they decided they're going to, they sold everything. <laughs> and they went to the mission field. Amen. And they did some major damage for the kingdom of God. You see, your first question is not what makes sense because all of their friends write them postcards from the beaches that they're wrinkling on in their retirement. (laughs) And they send them back pictures of little kids that they're doing VBS with or towers that they're repairing, the view from up looking down. Because their first question is not how should I enjoy my retirement, but what does God want to do with me now? Forgot you are going to be here this morning. So what? These are all obstacles to faith. Here's my two questions for you this morning. Simple. What trials would it take for you to abandon the future God promises you? What trial is your red line? I can go through anything as long as it doesn't hit this. Once it hits this, I'm done. What trials would it take for you to abandon the future God promises you? And number two, what pragmatic, reasonable decision lies before you that would cause you to exchange the future God promises you? We look at Abraham and we think to ourselves, there's not really a lot you're going to learn from Abraham. Oh, I beg to differ. Because as I was writing this this message uh, this week, I was thinking to myself, I need a lot of work in this area. Because I look at my own life and I ask myself these two questions What trials? Will I abandon faith over? And what pragmatic decisions would I exchange the future God promises me over? A couple of keys and we're done. Number one, Abraham's ability to be a blessing was contingent on his proximity to the land. In other words, Abraham had to be in the land to experience the promise of God from God. This was God's plan from there's no magic in Israel, right? There's no magic in this land. But being in the land was where God wanted Abraham to be. There's no magic there. The magic was in obeying. When Abraham was where God wanted him to be, blessings galore. Application is this, Christians are blessings to others when they demonstrate a radical trust in God. So church, just would you read this uh, parenthesis for me because I'd love for you to hear this loud and clear. Stay close to Jesus. That's so Sunday school, isn't it? But it's so powerful. When you wander away from where God wants you to be, it's really easy to mess up. But if you stay faithful to him, you will recognize he's always been faithful to you. When the presence of God is experienced by us, when we stick close to Jesus, by the way, Our people are blessed around us. Our families are blessed around us. Our nation is blessed around us. Priests don't do stupid things and destroy the reputation of the rest of us. When we live like we should, the world is supposed to look at us and say, yeah, I can't really pick any bad things out about those guys. That's actually a verse of scripture. If you're being ridiculed, let it be ridiculed for the way you've been living righteously, not for the way that you're still living like the world. If you do that, your nation, your community, your family, your life will be blessed. The blessing you bring to the non-Christian world is not cursings, but it's blessings, truth, grace, and love. You should be the closest thing the people around you have to saying, oh yeah, what's Jesus like? Uh, he's kind of like Craig. That's crazy, right? But very biblical. Because we're supposed to be transforming daily into the image of The image of Jesus Christ. So if you're not looking more like Christ on a regular basis, someone's dropping the ball and it's not him. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Isn't that great? It's like people get around you and they go, I smell Jesus here. You don't think so? Look at the next verse. For we are the, what church? We are the aroma of Jesus to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. People should look at you and say, that guy is just like Jesus. Wouldn't you love that? Yeah. Yeah, so would I. God's got a lot of work to do in me. Number two, God's master plan can never be thwarted. Sometimes bad stuff happens in your life because you make dumb decisions. But sometimes bad stuff happens in your life because life is just hard. The greatest of ironies is no matter how much you drop the ball, God always calls you back, washes you off, and gives you a new day. That's, by the way, one of my favorite verses in Scripture in the book of Psalms. His mercies are new every morning. Mercies are new every morning. God has a new day for you every morning. He's never done with you. So if you're thinking, oh, Craig, I've really dropped the ball on this, Then you missed it, because Abraham dropped the ball continually. And you're looking at somebody that does the same thing. But God's mercies are new every morning. All you need to do is come back, let him wash you off, and watch what he can do with you. Application is make things right with God. What's the word there? Quickly. Quickly. No matter What? Craig, I've dropped the ball. I don't think I can fix this. Yes, you can. The greatest challenge for you, my guess, would be humility. You've got to humble yourself before him and maybe before others, but God can still use you. He still used Abraham. Don't be the obstacle that you think God can't overcome. By the way, only after Lot chose did God reiterate his promise to Abraham. Abraham. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, After Lot separated from him, here's the promise again lift up your eyes, Abram, and look from the place where you are north, south, east, west. All the land that you see, I'll give it to you and your offspring forever. You'd think God would say, Remember that incident in Egypt? I'm still a little ticked about that. So we're going to cut off like half of the land. You get east and west, but not north and south, all right? God doesn't do that. He comes back, he builds an altar. He worships at a place where he should be. And God says, here's a reiteration. Nothing's changed. Mercy's new every morning. This is all yours. Don't be stupid anymore. (laughs) I love it. Um, Number three, Abram was a friend of God, even though he kept dropping the ball as he learned to walk by faith. Listen, when you choose to walk by faith, God is gonna rewrite your dossier. He's gonna put together a brand new portfolio for you. You may have made failures in the past. Abraham made failures in the past, but he kept moving, and so should we. Our job is not to sit and stew, our job is to move and grow. So keep readjusting, don't give up. Remind yourself of the goal. God has a plan for you. Sell yourself out to God. Remember, following is hardest when you are tested the strongest. But you won't grow in your faith unless you recover and give it back to the Lord. So here's your application. Remind yourself God is still able to use you and others around you for great things. They may not be the great things that you think they are. (laughs) But they are great things nonetheless. Let me give you an illustration from Abram's life. So I want to close because it's, it's a great illustration. How many of you know the name Nahor? <laughs> no? Neither do I. But if you look it up, you will find it in Genesis eleven twenty six 26 to 29. Nahor was Abram's brother. Nah- Abram's brother was Nahor. He lived back in the era of Chaldees. And if you look at his accomplishments, in Genesis 24 and verse 10, he built an incredible city a whole civilization. Nahor built this thing from the ground up. He was the ruler of a great city. If you would ask anyone in the land of the Chaldeans about this son of Terah, you go to him and say, did Terah have any sons? Yeah, he had, he had two sons, Abram and Nahor. You wanna know what Nahor's doing? He's building a city, it is growing. People are coming left and right. Lots of money. Things are happening there. It is going gangbusters. Nahor, he is a great success and he will be remembered forever. Do you have any other sons? Yeah, Abram, but he left a while ago and we don't know what he's doing now. He just just wandered off. He'll never amount to much of anything. How many of you know Abraham's name? Nahor. this is the way the world views it Nahor was a success Abram was a failure but with God God sees things differently God will use us differently and the stuff we do for God lasts for eternity I struggle with this as your pastor Nahor was completely forgotten by the time we get to Abram's legacy nobody even remembers the guy's name anymore The only way we know it is because somebody wrote it, Moses wrote it, in the book of Genesis. Abram is known and revered by millions around the world, even people that don't ever read the book of Genesis. He became the father of the three greatest religions that were on the planet, or the three most popular religions that were ever on the planet. And by the way, in the book of Genesis, The first 11 chapters deal with 2,000 years of human history. The next 14 deal with one man, Abraham. That's why Abraham is called a friend of God. And the lesson we can learn from that is, you may think you're not adding up to a whole lot, or your life's not adding up to a whole lot, or maybe you're not being who you claim you think you should be, Maybe you're comparing yourself to somebody else and your accomplishments to somebody else, but I'm here to tell you if your first response is, what does God want me to do? You will be called a friend of God. He will make your legacy powerful. He will use you incredibly. You may never build a city that everybody forgets about in the next 4,000 years, but he will create a generation of people that walk this earth and claim his name and make converts for the kingdom of God that will live with you for eternity which is the better legacy so many people including me think to myself I think I should be doing more at this time I think think my life should add up to more by this point in my life so we all go through our midlife crisis right should be doing something different sometimes we make bad decisions sometimes we make different decisions and there's nothing wrong with that but the bottom line is every decision we make is not based on what makes sense or what's pragmatic at, the point, at that point in time. Every decision is made on what does God want me to do? How is God gonna use this decision for his glory? And if that's our starting point, can't go wrong. Keep on the path. Trials will come. Stay faithful. Because God has a great plan for you. It'll change over the years, but you stay faithful and you'll be amazed at what God can make of your life. You may never be a Nahor that builds a city, but you will be called friend of God. That's pretty good.